We've been looking over these last few weeks at the story of Noah, which is concerned, contained very early in the uh, Bible, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, begins in chapter 6 and goes on through till chapter 9. An, an ancient story. And we've had four previous talks talking about the story of Noah. Josh introduced us, introduced us to Noah as a leader and as a hero. Um, Gareth Frank came, from Durham, came back from Durham and he spoke to us about the days of Noah, the times of Noah which were uh, uh, called as evil times, which was why the whole flood thing happened, etc., the days uh, of Noah. Holly talked to us about the covenants um, of Noah and God's covenant of salvation, um, that he would hold on to those that belonged to him. Ewan talked about the baptism of the Noah, that in the New Testament, one of the things one of the passages that talks about baptism says it's like Noah and his flood. And today I'm going to talk to you about the moral fall of Noah. Now, I know you're thinking, happy Mother's Day. Well done, Christian. Believe me, I look really hard. Is there a mother's theme we can get out of these chapters? Can we do something with Mrs. Noah? Sadly not. She hardly gets a mention. Is there some, like, generic motherhood theme running through Noah? No, there isn't. Um, so today, unfortunately, I will be preaching to you about sexual sin and Noah on Mother's Day. You'll never forget this sermon. To engage you in our discussion, I'm going to get you to talk at, our, at the tables, and there's a question that comes up on the screen. And one of the things that we haven't looked in any of the talks is what's your opinion about this idea that the whole world flooded? That's what the passage says. It says the whole world flooded. So you're going to have 30 seconds to be the theologian at your table and express your opinion. Is it, number one, was it a flood of the whole world, a global flood? Was it option two, a regional? Was it the flood of their whole world, but it's kind of like a region that flooded? And option three, was it, is it a myth or a parable? There was no flood. It was just a flood of hope or encouragement um, and the story is written to tell us something but it wasn't an actual flood. Is it something else um, that you know about or an idea that's occurred to you? So you are a theologian for the next 30 seconds. On your table go express your opinion to those near you. Okay, brilliant. Hey, if you're following your Bibles and you want to open up, turn to page 6, nice and easy to find. And we are in Genesis chapter 9, and we're just going to read a few verses starting at verse 18. So we're on page 6 on the table Bibles in the second column. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. And these were the three sons of Noah... And from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked, but told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. 
Their faces were turned the other way, so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of the slaves will be he be to his brothers. And he also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the low, the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. The end of our story. Well, this passage takes us to an interesting conclusion in the heroic tales of Noah. It's, it's sobering and serves as a warning to us that it's included in this very short account of this incredible biblical figure's life. Uh, Noah's life ends with some odd sexual transgression that's not fully spelt out for us, and some drunken experience through which a whole family dysfunction unfolds which has consequences for generations to come. It's worth noting what a hero Noah was. In chapter 6 at the beginning we are introduced to him and we're told Noah is a righteous man, blameless, he walks with God and obeyed him in everything. Now in the New Testament, it's listed in the book of Hebrews, in the chapter, the heroes of faith. There is absolutely no doubt that Noah is an absolute hero. In fact, that, that introduction, no one else in the Bible gets anything nearly as good as this is how close Noah was to God. No one else even comes near to a statement like that. Noah was God's servant through whom he saved the whole world. Either the, the, his world or the whole world or however we saw it. He was God's instrument of bringing salvation and, and a new beginning to the masses. And yet the final account of his life is tinged with shame and failure. This is often the case with with heroes. I've got a few we can look at on the screen. And the first one is Jeremy Clarkson. To many a hero, but he's now for the, on top of other things where he's sung uh, nursery rhymes with racist words in and being rude and nasty about women, and then apparently this week has punched his producer in the face, and surprise, surprise, the hero has been suspended from his TV show. Uh, a man loved by many, uh, popular viewing in our house, we love, we love his banter on the screen, and yet he is also a fallen man, a broken man. Um, another one? Uh, this is Lance Armstrong, seven-time Tour de France winner, led his team to victory. Uh, he um, famously beat cancer, wrote a book about it, started a whole charity about it that raised hundreds of millions of pounds to help other people. Uh, an absolute hero who in the last few years has been exposed to us as somebody who was involved in doping, he cheated, all his titles have been removed. Uh, one more, probably the most serious of the three, Jimmy Savile. I remember growing up 
Jimmy Savile was a hero. Jim, Jim fixed it for all those kids. They could get to parachute or drive on a bus or whatever it is they wanted to do. He raised thousands, probably millions of pounds for children's hospitals. And yet, since his death, we've discovered all the dreadful things that happened. This idea of a, a hero who becomes zero, reduced to nothing in the latter part of their life, a, a flawed figure, somebody who is greatly used and yet actually has tragic flaws. Well, what was the sins of Noah? What, what was it that actually happened? Noah, it seems, after the flood, enters into a second career and he becomes a farmer. He tills the soil. He grows vine. He becomes a vine owner. And he sampled too much of his product. Okay? I've met quite a few vine owners, vineyard owners. They all sample their product. Okay? Every year, Amanda and I go to France. If you go to a wine tasting, the, vine, the vineyard owner always samples the product. They give you a sample. They have one as well. The next customer comes along, they give them a sample, they have one as well. <laughs> they sample their product all the time. And Noah uh, has cultivated his vine, he's produced wine, and he's drunk too much of it. He's got drunk, and he's got himself into a mess. He should have known better, he was 600 years old. <laughs> like, you know, you'd have thought, he'd have got over his youth or whatever, you know, and he acquired a bit of maturity and wisdom. 600 years old and he's still getting drunk, drinking too much wine. The second thing that's given to us, and very few words are given, except that there is this peculiar thing of him being found naked in his tent. Now, it's unlikely that just being in the nudie is the issue there. In fact, turn back a few chapters in where we are, the people tittering, that's really funny. Is it because I said nudie? Um, <laughs> like, turn back even a few chapters in the Bible story and actually were commended to, Adam and Eve are commended to us, who are presented naked because they're perfect and innocent. It's unlikely that the storyteller wants us to think ill of Noah simply because he's naked. Most people that have studied this passage think some kind of unwritten sexual thing has happened that is evident to those that come into the tent. Something has either happened with someone else in the community or Noah on his own, and this is the, the scene that's sort of been inferred to or referred to um, there. It involves his three sons, and we've got Ham, uh, Seth, and Japheth. And Ham is actually the middle of the sons. His name always appears in the middle of any of the list of the three sons, but he's referred to as the youngest or the least. Probably that means, that although he was the middle-born one, he was either the shortest, or he was kind of like the least smart, or he was like the least mature. So the, the word for the youngest could also mean the least or the lowest. So it's one of those. Since, since his name's listed in the middle, he's probably not the actual youngest, but he's probably the silliest of the three sons. And therefore not surprising that he's the one that's involved in this incident in an unfortunate way. Again, we don't know exactly what happens, except that Ham sees this situation with his father, uh, who's naked, and then he goes out and tells others. He is not the son honouring his father and the great Noah. 
the man that God used. He's the one that's titillating about it, and he's probably gossiping about it even to his brothers. We don't know, but maybe you know, maybe he was telling everyone, oh, you know, you should see what I've just seen in there. You thought Dad was cool, he's not. Blah, blah, blah. He's telling everyone. He's not, he's not resolving the situation. He's enjoying the telling of it. Maybe some of that happened. At the very least, he reports it to the two other sons. Shem and Japheth, we hear do this peculiarly honouring thing where they sort of walk in backwards into the room. They cover Dad up with a blanket without even looking, having their faces turned away. Um, in the movie about Noah, I don't think they did a scene with that. Um, if they did, it would have been funny. <laughs> anyway, this is what Noah has ended up with. He's, he's gone from a hero to a zero. He's, he's become a, a drunkard. Maybe it was just once. Or maybe this story is saying, actually, at the end of his life, this is the kind of man that Noah was. He, he just found his comfort in the fruit of the vine. He drank he drunk the wine because he enjoyed the experience it gave to him. There's some unspecified um, sexual act or thing that's happened that's sufficient to cause shame and titulation within the community. And the consequence of it, as we read in the um, reading, is um, that it, it results in a family breakdown. Uh, when Noah wakes up the next morning, because of what's happened, it, it doesn't even seem like he knows about it, because it seems like he gets told about it, this is what happened when you were drunk, Dad. Uh, through that, strife is, comes into his family, two sons he honours, one he curses, um, and division is brought into the family. This passage, this fall of Noah has produced a whole range of literature through the ages of people who've looked into this passage to try and figure out what's going on in it. Um, for example, the, the classic Jewish theological position on Noah is that they speak about Noah twice. It, Jewish theologians say that there are two Noahs. The same person, but two Noahs. First Noah is the hero. The man who was blameless, faultless, who listened to God, who God used, who God, the thing that God wanted happened, and he's the hero. He's the one we look at, up to. He's the hero of our faith. He's the one that we praise. He's the one that we tell our children about because we want them to um, aspire to be like Noah. We want them to look up to Noah. That's first Noah. And then second Noah is the man that we find in the end of this final chapter. He's the man that's kind of lost his way a bit. He's got into a muddled situation. And the, the final events of his life are not praiseworthy or righteous, but are sad and broken. So that's how Jewish theology has dealt with Noah. One person who they treat as if two, in order to deal with the painful fact that the, the hero is also a broken person as well. Uh, other, other early writers said maybe nothing was wrong because um, perhaps Noah was the first vineyard owner uh, in this new earth. And that means uh, nobody had knew about getting drunk. So Noah kind of discovered it, he sort of invented it, and therefore he was morally 
above it. it. It wasn't a transgression to transgress because it hadn't happened before. He sort of discovered, oh my word, this stuff we grow makes us like this. So therefore, Noah's morally separated from this because he wouldn't know, he didn't know any better about it. In the Middle Ages, the phrase, the covering of Noah, that picture of Shem and Jacob who walked in with a blanket and literally covered Noah, the phrase, the covering of Noah, became a phrase that was considered the duty of clergy to their bishop. That if clergy knew of a sin of their bishop, it was their duty, because of this story, to cover it. Uh, was that the bishop I saw drunk coming out of a tavern last night? Uh, no, it was me. Uh, it may have looked like him, um, but it was me. It was the duty of the clergy in the Middle Ages to protect the honoured bishop by covering over his sin with their own lives. I'll tell you what, if a bishop ever asked that of me, I won't do it. <laughs> and the early church allegorised the story. They said, actually, this isn't a literal event. It's a story that's been put here to, to give us a deeper meaning. This was their deeper meaning. They said, Noah is like a Christ figure because he goes from the saving hero, God's principal agent, to being a simple farmer. So that's like Jesus sent from God, being born into humble circumstances. Um, he drinks from the fruit of the vine. That's like what Jesus said when he said, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink, when he described his, um, the, the experience that he would have on the cross. So uh, Noah drinking the vine is like that experience. Um, his being naked is like Christ's self-exposure on the cross, that he gave his body to the cross. Uh, and then Ham is like those that didn't believe, those that mocked Christ and rejected him. And Shem and Japheth are like the Jews and the Gentiles who came to faith in him. And the last that's been said, and very sadly over the years, is that maybe the Canaanites, those that, were, um, uh, that Noah condemns, Ham's son, he, he curses Ham's son, the Canaan, uh, from whom comes the Canaanites, uh, and for some they said, okay, well that was God saying that some would become the slaves of others. And that verse has been used to justify slavery. Uh, slavery is something God wants because God made uh, Cana lower than his cousins and other brothers. And therefore that's why it's okay for some people to be brought into slavery. All of that is interesting, but I think... In concluding our look at Noah, none of those stories help us deal with the uncomfortable truth that it was the same man who was both the hero in the true sense and also somebody who was broken and flawed at the end of his life. And I think for all of us, we need to wrestle with the knowledge that we can be both the hero and the zero in the same person. And there's something about the idea of being righteous and following God that sort of pushes us towards the idolisation of what it looks like to follow God. In fact, even last night, I was at um, uh, somebody's birthday party and there was a little huddle of us um, having a little clergy huddle, having dinner. So we did what clergy did. 
um, we discussed famous Christian leaders who've fallen from grace. It's a great, it's a great discussion. Um, and so we went through them, listening them. Um, we weren't gossiping, we were just sharing our information. And, um, and we were discussing people we knew who crashed and burned in the ministry. And what, 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 it, what was it that was common to them? And for many of them, it was something about the fact that they were greatly used by God, so they were a hero, and that in becoming a, a hero, it was as if they lost their capacity to be in a community where they could also say, I'm a zero, I've messed up. I, I'm doing brilliant stuff over here, but there's also this bit in my life that's not working brilliantly. And it's as if, um, for some of these people that have kind of crashed and burned, it's as if they've followed a path either through their own choosing or through the pressure of others where that, that has been separated. They've been elevated to be a Christian superstar and, and through that they've kind of lost their connection with the reality that they are still a person learning what it means to follow God day by day. Um, and I think we also long to have perfect leaders. We, we long to think that leaders are perfect. It, it makes them kind of more followable, doesn't it? You know, everyone loves a great superhero movie. Uh, and there's something about the, the kind of, you know, that's that high elevated person with the super powers and therefore they're attractive. That's the person we want to follow, we want to have as a, a role model or a hero. But the reality is all of the heroes of the Bible and all of the heroes in any church community are at the same time broken people still learning what it means to follow God. I want to end with just a, a challenge. And I, as I thought about this passage, I thought there are two strong themes that shout out that we shouldn't avoid. And those are the themes of uh, the abuse of alcohol and sexual sin. Those are the two things named over Noah at the end of his life. And I want to highlight them for us as a community. In fact, as I had my discussion last night over supper with the other clergy, that there were common themes to do with leaders that fell, and those two certainly ranked high in the issues that affected people. Uh, alcohol abuse can have a terrible effect on people. In fact, in my family, most of the men have had their lives spoiled by the consequences of being addicted to alcohol. Um, last year in York, I believe at least six people have died through um, falling into the river under the influence of alcohol, so much so that they were unable to save themselves. I think four of them were students. Um, alcohol in its excesses has the capacity to spoil and mar our lives. Also, kind of in a way, it's, it's, it's not surprising that those two things occur in the passage that... that Drinking too much alcohol led Noah probably into other things, that it kind of opens the door of other things that might go wrong. And the second is just, just the sexual sin that's inferred to in this passage with Noah. Um, I got a leaflet through from one of the Christian ministry things that uh, email around churches that, that reported in the UK today, in any given month, 50% of men will watch pornography. 17% of women in any given month will watch pornography. Um, one in five mobile 
uh, internet searches is a search for pornographic material. And aside from kind of the, the, the personal consequences that, of how that affects the person themselves, it's also that the sort of the slippy end of the things that we heard about a few weeks ago, the sex trade and human trafficking, it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's a thing that fuels that whole dark form of modern slavery that's at work in our society today. So I want to throw out a challenge. It's not a happy one to do on Mother's Day. It's not a jolly note to end on in this story of Noah. But I think we're challenged by this man's life, who was a true hero of God, but also somebody broken as well. Maybe his story could have unfolded in a different way, and maybe he could have ended on a, in, in a, with a more positive writer. And all of us need that. I want to end my life well. I don't want to end my life in a sort of negative way. I want to, I want to end my life following Jesus well. So um, we're not going to have like a prayer line or coming forward. I don't think that's appropriate um, to do that today. But I want to challenge you in a minute to just pray with me in, in the silence that follows and to consider, do either of those issues touch your life? Is, is like God just pricking your conscience? And I don't need to add any words to make you feel that, you'll, you'll know. And it's not about comparing you, yourself with the next person. Sometimes God just puts his finger on our lives and just says, here's something we, I'd like us to work on. So you'll know if that applies to you. And it may be something else that's holding you back from following Jesus that's to do with um, not being right in God's sight. But those two particular ones that are in our passage that we read today, um, the sexual sin of Noah, maybe in modern terms, watching pornography, and also the abuse of alcohol. So we're going to sing uh, a song as we end. Perhaps the band can just come up and um, we'll sing Your Love Never Fails. But let's, let's just keep a moment's silence. There's no cause for coming forward or anything like that today. But I just want you, maybe while you close your eyes, to consider between you and God, is there anything today you want to make a pact that you're going to resolve and, uh, and move forward on.